In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the gold dome. We journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution want to take a minute to thank our subscribers. Because of your support, we were able to make this podcast available to everyone. Our reporting and local journalism is because of subscriber support of our newspaper. If you are not a print or digital newspaper subscriber, join us. Go to AJC.com and sign up today. Thank you and continue to follow our reporting in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. We love holding these events because it provides us an opportunity to talk in depth about something that we at the AJC are really passionate about. As polls. Um, we like to think of them as snapshots of how the community feels. It's not necessarily a reflection of the election or a prediction of, of a possible outcome, but really it gives us a glimpse of where the electorate is feeling, where voters are leaning, what the mood is right now. And we're committed to accurate polling, so that's why we've partnered with the University of Georgia's School of po- Policy and Inter- Public and International Affairs. I should know that because I graduated from that school. Um, although that was a new name, it was a new school when I was there. Um, let's introduce the panelists. I'll talk first because I am moderating and my name comes first in the alphabet. I'm Greg Bluestein, and I've worked at the AJC since 2012. I'm an Atlanta native and I cover politics for the AJC. Uh, Tia's next. Hi everybody, my name is Tia Mitchell. I'm the AJC's Washington correspondent. And I am currently in Washington, and I look forward to chatting about poll results with you today. And I'm Mark Nisi. I am based here in Atlanta. I cover elections and voting rights and the legislature, and um, that's very active. We've always have so much going on in elections, and as Greg always reminds us, Georgia is the center of the political <laughs> universe, and that is not letting up anytime soon. And um, now is the time to really take a breath and look and see what people in the state feel like now that our voting law has been passed in Georgia and before the 2022 session really ramps up. Yeah, and look, it hasn't gotten, it's gotten a little bit less busy, a little bit quieter since the 2021 runoffs just a few months ago, but really we're still exhausted, we're still working because every day it seems like another major moment in state and local politics. I mean, just last week we had the incumbent mayor, 
Keisha Lance Bottoms announced she wasn't running for a second term. We've had tremendous news in Washington that Tia is covering with the federal delegation and also the, the Georgia level, especially with the new election law. We're going to get into all of that. Um, but first, we solicited questions in advance and loads of you submitted some great inquiries that we're going to, that our colleague Kelly Audette is going to vet and find the best to answer. So we'll get to that at the end of the show. But um, we'll continue taking your questions via social media. So just drop them in the comment section and Kelly's going to be in charge of finding some of those to ask us. And you can ask us anything you want. We're ready. We hope. Um, first off, let's get into um, some of the results of the poll. And you can see we had, I think it was three front page stories about the poll and many blog items and jolt leads and things like that. Um, so let's get into that with Tia because we're, let's talk about the biggest takeaway from the top line political numbers. Um, Tia, what was, what was the most surprising thing about, uh, about the poll in terms of the po politics behind it? Um, I think the most surprising thing about the poll is not only is Joe Biden doing pretty well as far as his job approval in Georgia, but in particular, Georgia voters approved of his handling of the coronavirus pandemic. And that was interesting to me because there has been a shift, you know, um, under President Biden. He's, he's done a lot of things differently than former President Trump. He's advocated more forcefully for mask usage. He's been, of course, a lot more vocal about vaccinations. Um, and then, of course, him advocating as his first major piece of legislation, another big coronavirus relief bill that included another round of stimulus checks. And, and so I think, you know, it, it's good for Biden, you know, that right now it looks like those efforts have the approval of most voters in Georgia. And we know Georgia, he considers Georgia a very crucial state. Yeah, and this poll came, comes out six months after Joe Biden became the first Democratic White House contender to win Georgia since 1982. And I think you're right. I mean, the fact that, his, that he's still holding his own with Georgia voters um, was, was, pretty, was pretty interesting. Um, Tia, can you break down the numbers for us on, on where Joe Biden stood with the electorate? Yes, so I have the numbers right in front of me. So... Um, Overall, his job approval, about 50% of voters in Georgia said they either somewhat approve or strongly approve of the way Joe Biden is um, operating as president. That was 51%. But when it came to his handling of the coronavirus, 61% of Georgia voters said they either somewhat approve or strongly approve. Now, where it goes down considerably is on immigration you had a total of 36% who approved. And then you had, let's see, like 54% of Georgia voters said they do not approve, either strongly or somewhat disapprove of Joe Biden's handling of immigration. And then uh, another interesting indicator is we asked in the poll, we should say is what, 844 Georgia voters and 38% said they felt the country was on the right track. 51%, so more, 52%, so a little more than half said they felt the country was on the wrong track. But even with more than half of those respondents saying the country was on the wrong track, um, about half 
still said they approved overall of President Biden. Yeah, and Tia, those are some of the numbers that Democrats are going to be very closely watching uh, around this time next year, because if, though, if, if there's still a clear majority or clear plurality even of voters who think the, the country's on the wrong track uh, with unified Democratic control of Washington, that could be, that could be problematic um, for Democrats. And you're right in the middle of the next big debate in Washington over the infrastructure package that could be $2.3 trillion. It could be a lot less. We don't know exactly the shape and contour of that, but we do know, we do at least have a sense of how Georgians are feeling about it. Right. And so I'm going to pull some of that up, too. Uh, just in general, you know, it's hard to gauge. Um, it's hard to ask people that question because the package itself is still in flux. You know, President Biden has put out that he wants, you know, about $2 billion for roads, bridges, transportation, transit, things like that, the ports. But he also has like a separate plan for families that he also is kind of categorizing under the infrastructure umbrella. That includes things like early learning, childcare, free community college. And so, um, but there's no formal bill yet in Congress, but we asked, we focused on the $2 trillion of the more traditional infrastructure. And it was, it still had pretty good support. You had 51% said they support it either somewhat or strongly. And then you had 40, you had 38% who do not support the infrastructure overall. But then we asked, you know, President Biden said he will raise taxes on the rich, on large corporations, on individuals that make more than $400,000 a year. So this is really rich people. And we asked do people in support the tax increases and, and our poll showed that voters generally did. There's a 51% support for tax increases, um, according to our poll. So that shows that for right now, again, Biden's infrastructure proposal is pretty popular in Georgia, um, over half approved. But again, the devil is in the details. And right now, we don't have those yet. It's, yeah. He's, you know, that's up to Congress. And we'll start seeing those too, but you're right. This is maybe one of the most dynamic clashes in Washington. And as you mentioned, there's a debate over whether or not taxing the wealthy is the way to go or user fees, gas taxes, transportation fees that would help finance the infrastructure. And we're going to see that play out in Georgia in a major way. And some of the people that, that our team are watching closely include uh, freshman Congresswoman Carolyn Bordeaux, who represents one of the swingiest districts in, in the nation, let alone Georgia right now. Um, and she said that she's taking out the green eye shade. She's going to be looking very scrutinizing, really skeptically at the plan as it comes out and seeing what things, what items could be cut, and what kind of items could be preserved. Um, and Tia, we also want to talk about what the poll says about a tough 2022 climate for possibly for Republicans. Um, Kemp's, Governor Brian Kemp's favorability rating is in the mid 40s, well below where it was in 2019. It seems like he's still facing some of the fallout, some damage from his falling out with former President Donald Trump. Yeah, I found that really interesting. Like you mentioned, 44% of survey respondents view Governor Kemp favorably, and 47% said they viewed him unfavorably. And he polled lower 
been um, Stacey Abrams, Raphael Warnock, and John Ossoff, who all had a 48% favorable. Um, and all of their unfavorables were around around 40% unfavorable for Ossoff and Warnock. Abram, Abrams, her unfavorable was a little bit closer at 45%. But still, you know, right now, um, Stacey Abrams hasn't formally announced she will run for governor, but we pretty much expect it to happen. And this snapshot in time, our poll was conducted late April into early May. Governor Kemp is at 44% favorability. Stacey Abrams is at 48%. And before we shift to the next topic of the poll, one more question for you, Tia. Both Senators John Ossoff and, and Raphael Warnock have favorability ratings of around 48%, which is, uh, Ossoff doesn't have to worry about a, another election until 2026, but this is this is especially um, positive news for Reverend Warnock because he's facing, he's standing for election in November 2022 for a full six-year term. Right, and, you know, Os- Warnock is, I'm sure he would like to be higher, you know, but 48% isn't bad for a guy who's only been in office for, you know, about three months when the poll was taken. And um, yeah, about three months since the poll was Mm -hmm. taken. And I think that he's working really hard to not only be visible in Georgia, but also to champion things he feels that the people of Georgia would like for him to champion, such as those stimulus checks. And um, we know that, as you mentioned, re-election is definitely on his mind. So I'm sure he's happy with the 48%, especially because it's unfavorable, like I said, was about 40%. Um, So, you know, he's above water, if you will. But I think um, Team Warnock would like to see that go even higher. Um, We're switching gears now to talk to Mark Nisi, the AJC elections voting rights ace, who's been covering uh, Secretary of State's office and all the twists and turns through Georgia's battle over voting rights for years now. How long have you covered this beat? Oh, I guess about coming up on four years or so yeah. um, on this. And our editors had the foresight to see that this was going to be a major issue. And not just even before Mark, um, we've had reporters covering vet ballot access and voting rights and elections law for, in Georgia for years. Uh, and, you know, even long before it became the seminal battle around the nation that's getting all sorts of national coverage. So luckily, you've already laid the groundwork, and all these other national folks are trying to catch up. Right. Well, you know, we came to a realization that maybe should have been obvious all along, but that democracy and elections and voting rights are really important, you know, (laughs) not only as a principle, but also as a political issue. You know, this is what all of our politicians here in Georgia debate and talk about, you know, um, and that's what... We heard so much from in the 2018 election for governor between Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams. And then um, with the presidential election we just had, and we can look forward to more of these voting rights debates coming up in 2022. For sure. And and that's what we want to talk about, because we polled how voters see, how voters feel about the new election law. But before we, we get into the results, let's just talk about some of the common, some of the biggest changes that these election laws bring and some of the biggest misconceptions they have. Sure. So the biggest changes are with absentee voting followed by early voting through 
weekend voting and runoffs. Absentee voting has the most changes after 1.3 million of Georgia's 5 million voters in November's presidential election cast absentee ballots. So the biggest changes are now that drop boxes are limited but required. So there will be fewer drop boxes, but there will be at least one in every county. Um, drop boxes were a short-term innovation during the coronavirus pandemic under emergency orders. And the Georgia General Assembly had a choice whether to continue them, restrict them, or eliminate them. And they did continue them, but in a very limited manner where their usefulness will be pretty limited because they'll be only inside early voting locations where people can just early vote anyway, but they're still available. Um, there's also absentee ID, which will be, you'll be required to fill out your driver's license or state ID number when you request an absentee ballot and you, when you return an absentee ballot. And that is not an inconvenience for about 97% of voters who have their ID number associated with their voter registration number. But there are about 3% of voters, that's about 280,000 voters or so in the state who do not have an ID associated with their registration. And they'll have to either scan or take a photo and upload their ID to prove who they are. And then there's also a big change in runoffs. You know, we had this dramatic nine week campaign between November 3rd and January when the U.S. Senate runoffs are. In the future, it'll be 28 short days. So there will be no new voter voters registered in those 28 days because the voter registration deadline in Georgia is still 29 days before an election. And also early voting will be limited to at least the law says a minimum of one week. Currently, we have in-person early voting for three weeks before every election. Now, for runoffs, it'll be um, at a minimum of one week, probably not much more just because of the time it takes to get ballots ready and for voting machines to get tested and for all the preparations election officials need to make. Um, there are so many changes in the voting law, you know, all those absentee ballot request forms people got in the mail. Some people got six or eight of them. I think I got about three or four. Um, the law restricts those. You know, you're no longer allowed, if you're an organization and you want to sign people up to absentee vote, you're not allowed to send people an absentee ballot request form if they have already requested an absentee ballot once and they could face penalties for that. Um, and then I think one thing that a lot of people will see shortly after elections is that results have to be reported more quickly. Um, the law- Thank goodness. Kind of. I mean, it will be satisfying from the public, but you know, if you're rushing to count ballots, yeah. will you be as careful, yeah. you know? And do you, we'll have poll workers working all night long because that's what the law requires, continuous counting until they are done. And so we'll see results quicker, um, but there'll still be some trickling in. You know, military and overseas voters have until the Friday after election day to turn in their ballots, and that doesn't change. So we still won't have final results until a few days after the election, and in a very close election, that could still make a difference. But we should know a little bit sooner. I don't think um, we really had a clear idea in November until the about 4 a.m. early Friday morning after November 3rd. And we were both up for that, <laughs> slacking <laughs> each other and tweeting each other, waiting for that, that moment where Clayton County's ballots put Joe Biden over the top for the first time and it ended up being enduring. Um, 
And, you know, I want to get into that. But also, there's so much. Mark and his colleague, David Wickard, have probably written a trillion articles about, about the law and its changes. But Mark also wrote what I think is the seminal, the definitive story that goes into what each provision, because there's 98 pages, 98 pages? 98 right. pages of this bill. So he wrote the definitive account of what each provision does. And you can either find it on his social media page now or in a couple minutes. Did you tweet it? I haven't tweeted it recently, but you know, just go to AJC.com on a desktop in particular. Um, George's voting law is on a ribbon at the top of the page. You can click oh. there or you can just uh, type into Google how George's voting law works and go. it'll come right up. Awesome. And so if you want any, if you want the most concise, detailed information about that, that's where you go. But now let's get into how you actually feel about it as Georgia voters. Uh, what, well, Mark, how do voters actually feel about these changes? Well, up and down, every question we asked about the voting law, if you look at it through a political lens by political party or by conservative versus liberal, it's very divided. Overall, the results were 46% in favor, 44% opposed. And if you look among Republicans, it's 81% in favor. If you look at Democrats, it's only 16% in favor. And that's kind of how it breaks down. Independence, very close, 39% in favor, 40% opposed. So it is up and down the list um, defined by your political beliefs and ideology and who you define with in terms of your political outlook. And, mm -hmm. you know, that reflects itself also in Major League Baseball's decision to pull the All-Star game after the voting law was passed. This is kind of the flashpoint. And that showed, you know, a real tangible result of this voting law that really, I think, solidified people's views about it. Because when you see something as symbolic and important to some people as a sporting event, which on its face doesn't directly have to do with politics, but it's a big company and it's at least still considered America's passed on by some of us. And mm -hmm. when it makes this change to pull out of Georgia and having that kind of public statement about Georgia's voting law, it's going to have an effect. So what you saw is that um, overall, only 36% of voters supported Major League Baseball leaving Georgia, 54% in favor. And you did see a partisan divide, although not as sharp as the voting law overall. Only 9% of Republicans supported Major League Baseball pulling the All-Star game from Georgia and 54%, I'm sorry, 85% were in favor. Among Democrats, it was a little bit closer because I think even Democrats don't like losing the, the All-Star game and it going somewhere else. Um, but 63% of Democrats supported Major League Baseball and 26% were opposed to the move. And again, overall, 36% were in favor of Major League Baseball pulling the All-Star game and 54% were against it. So that's really where you see the breakdown when you see um, something as symbolic and reflective of the nation's consciousness as Major League Baseball making a big move like that. It really makes people pay attention. It's a pretty stark divide. And there's also a pretty stark divide when we asked folks about cancel culture. And that, that's been the dominant rallying cry for Georgia Republicans right now, and, and probably Republicans around the nation, talking about cancel culture, the, the, the knack for companies and critics to, to cancel out conservative views in, in, their, in their point of view. Um, we asked this question, do Georgians want companies to use their public role to shape political opinion or promote cultural change? And we found a pretty, pretty stark, uh, stark answer. 
That's right. As much as Georgia might be the number one state for business, depending on who you ask, um, they don't want those businesses to be imposing their political views on society so much. Um, for the most part. Overall, 33% of voters answered yes to that question that companies should use their public role to influence political, cultural, or social change. 60% were opposed. Um, the Republic, Among Republicans, who are generally identify themselves as very pro-business, they're pro-business, but they want businesses to be quiet about these issues. Only 7% of Republicans wanted companies to make their views known. Democrats were a little bit more split. Democrats, 56% of them wanted to hear companies' views on social change, and 35% of Democrats wanted companies to stay out of it. I think um, it's, it's complex, right? Because you have all these calls from liberal and democratic organizations trying to pressure companies to take a stand on the voting law. And we've seen this play out for months where they've really struggled mm -hmm. um, to kind of define their response in a way that makes a difference and isn't seen as being shallow, but at the same time not offending anybody. And that's a very difficult line to walk if you're a company and you sometimes end up with unclear messages and when you have a clear message you're sure to offend somebody so i think that's reflected in these poll results yeah and that brings us to, to delta and coke the two of georgia's most iconic companies that on the last day of the legislative session after the election law was already signed by governor brian kemp uh, came out against it with forceful scathing criticism um and we've seen backlash we've seen uh, protests, boycotts, all sorts of uh, efforts by, by by supporters of the law, and we've seen counter boycotts from critics of the law who think that other Georgia-based companies should do more to oppose it. We also polled how voters think about those two companies, and what we found was surprising, at least. Republicans were evenly split over Delta, and 55% of GOP voters had a dim view of Coke. And look, for a lifelong Georgian who can't even imagine drinking a Pepsi, I don't think I've ever had one in my life on purpose, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to see um, that sort of transformation of, of Coke's view to the point where even the House Speaker, David Ralston, openly boasted about drinking a Pepsi the last day of the session. I don't know if he really drank it, though. And we, we don't have proof he actually <laughs> took a sip, but, but at least he said he would. And that's something that, you know, not long ago, you couldn't even imagine him of admitting openly. Right. I have a hard time turning against um, our Georgia companies as a proud Georgian. But I understand, you know, when these companies take positions that voters are opposed to, that decreases their favorability ratings. And we see that, you know, there's still some support for Delta and Coke, 55% um, supporting Delta overall and 51% supporting Coke. And the negatives there are 26% and 36%. But they certainly took a hit, I think yeah. it's fair to say, because of their political positions on this. Now, I don't know if Georgia people are gonna suddenly not drink Coke products, you know, but um, it does have an influence perhaps on marketing and public image of those companies. Sure. And let's talk about the third part of the poll, um, the third major part, which talks about the the state's response to the pandemic, um, the uh, the vaccine distribution, and the economic impact. And, and Tia, let's go to you. The response as it came to the coronavirus shots, what did the poll find when it came to whether or not voters were willing to get the vaccine. So it was so interesting, this part of the poll. Um, we first asked how many people had already 
received their shot. And about half of the respondents had already received their COVID-19 vaccination. And then, um, you know, some people were still, we asked those who had not been vaccinated, do they plan on being vaccinated? Are they wait and see? Or are they not planning to get their shots at all? And of those 50% of respondents who were not vaccinated, 50% of them don't plan to ever be vaccinated at all. So overall, that um, represents about a quarter of survey respondents said they don't plan on getting vaccinated at all. And when you break that down, those voters tended to be Republicans. Um, they tended to be older. Uh, they tended to be white. And so um, again, that shows you that there is vaccine hesitancy um, among Republicans and um, also among older white adults. Yeah, about one quarter of all of Georgians, who, according to the poll, won't even get one vaccine shot. Uh, and that speaks to the challenges that public health officials face in trying to vaccinate as many people in Georgia as possible. And our colleagues, Eric Sturgis, Ariel Hart, and Scott Truby wrote a terrific piece that published over the weekend about all the efforts that public health officials and, and government officials are trying to do to try to convince um, vaccine hesitant people. Because as Tia mentioned, two thirds of, of, of Republicans who have not gotten a shot um, uh, sorry, <laughs> about one quarter of the respondents don't intend to get vaccinated. Of those, two thirds of them are Republicans. So that again speaks to um, the the barriers that some of these public health officials are facing right now. And Mark, it also had a glimmer of good economic news. And what would that good economic? Well, let's be? talk about it because it found <laughs> that growing confidence among Georgians that, that a sense of normalcy is returning with majority saying they would feel safe going out oh, yes. to eat, traveling by airplane, all that good stuff. That's right. right. You'd say that was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think I went to an Atlanta United game a couple of weeks ago. That was my first outing. But, you know, overall, Georgians are still pretty split, split about going to sporting events. 49% said they felt safe going to a live sporting event and 47% didn't. So 49, 47, that's pretty close. If you look at flying on an airplane, people were more confident flying on an airplane than going to a live sporting event. I, I don't know. I'd feel the opposite because you're inside an airplane. Live sporting event, you're going to be outside where the vaccine is less able to spread. But, you know, still a pretty good split. 55% comfortable feeling safe on an airplane, 39% opposed. And then dining in a full restaurant, similar split, 61 to 38. And again, up and down this poll, whether it's voting laws or COVID or Whatever it is, you do see a partisan divide here where Republicans were much more comfortable with going out, doing sporting events, flying on an airplane or going to an air to a restaurant mm -hmm. um, compared to Democrats. And on these covid safety questions, generally speaking, Republicans were between in the range of 73 to 84 percent comfortable and Democrats just about um much less between, you know, around 40, 41%, you know, so we're getting there. Um, what I tell my family is time will tell, you know, we'll see if infections and deaths continue to drop and perhaps it'll be not so partisan when this thing is over. Let's hope. And, and what the good news too, 
is compared to our first poll in January when more than a third of Georgians said they wouldn't get the vaccine, we're down to one in four. So it's still not a great number, but it's less than it was. Um, and also, look, the poll, I don't think this surprises anyone, the poll pointed to a continuing tight political dynamics in Georgia. And so let's let's talk a little bit about as we're, we have to, we're already starting to gear up for 2022 when every statewide uh, constitutional office is up for, for grabs. Of course, congressional legislative seats are back up for grabs. And of course, Reverend Raphael Warnock is up for a full six-year term. Uh, Tia, give us the lay of the land of, of what you see, what you're looking for heading to tw- the still-evolving races of 2022, and what the Democratic victories have meant for, for Georgia so far, the runoff victories. The, the runoff victories and Ossoff and Warnock switching the balance of power in the Senate have really put Georgia on the map as an important battleground state. Um, and that's a place that Georgia, Georgia was a possible battleground state going into 2020. Now Georgia is going to be treated as a definite battleground state. So um, especially as we start looking at some of these national elections, Georgia's going to become an even more um, important stop on the trail, but that's more 2024. So looking at 2022, it's these statewide races, but still with Warnock on the ballot, it still is going to be a nationalized race because Democrats need Warnocks to win if they want to hold on to that Senate majority. Yes, there are some other kind of, um, there are additional seats on the ballot in 2022 that the Democrats think is a possibility they can pick up, but they still want to bring Warnock back, not only to ensure their majority, but right now he's one of only two Black U.S. senators currently serving and the only Black Democrat serving. Um, and you can see, you know, expect to see a lot of prominent Democrats backing him up. Um, Greg has written a lot about President Biden and his trip recently to Georgia, which is all about, you know, he wanted to come and, and thank voters for not only putting him in the White House, but giving him that complete, giving Democrats that complete control in Washington that'll help him advance his agenda. He was going to come earlier, but then unfortunately the Atlanta spa shootings made that a different type of trip for the president and the vice president. So they came back recently and had that rally, that kind of celebration they had been planning to have. And again, that shows how important Georgia is for Democrats on a national um And if there's been a defining theme in the race uh, for Reverend Warnock's seat, it's been that there's been no big name, no superstar, no household figure in the Republican side in the race yet. There's two military veterans um, who have launched credible campaigns, and there's a few other candidates. Uh, uh, Agriculture Commissioner Gary Black is, is said to be about to get in the race. Congressman Buddy Carter is looking at the race. There's some there's some other figures looking at the race, but a lot of them are either saying no way, like David Perdue, like Doug Collins, like Chris Carr, or uh, they're waiting for Herschel Walker because former President Trump has egged Herschel Walker, the UGA football grade, of course, to run for the seat, even though he lives in, in Texas. 
Uh, and Mark, I'd love to ask you all about UGA football, but I've got to pivot to something else you know a lot about, which is Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. He's facing a squeeze from both the right and the left. This might be one of the most premier, the most closely watched down-ballot elections in the entire nation because of Raffensperger's high-profile clash with former President Trump um, after he refused his demands to overturn the election. Absolutely. That's going to be a fascinating race to watch. On the Republican side, we have Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who was a Trump supporter back in 2016. And then that all fell apart when Secretary of State Raffensperger stood up for the accuracy of Georgia elections. And then President Trump was clearly not pleased about that and famously pressured um, Secretary of State Raffensperger to do what he could to find Fine. the votes. Um, so, you know, ever since and even before then, you know, Raffensperger has been in the outs with Trump and therefore in the outs with a lot of Republicans. And he's facing competition from Representative Jody Heiss, who is a longtime solid Trump supporting Republican, but also one of our House members from Georgia who did not want to certify Georgia's mm -hmm. election results in Congress and has criticized Raffensperger for his handling of the election. And I think it, we always have to say that Georgia's election results were counted three times. There were audits and there were investigations and every count of the election results came very similar. You know, Joe Biden won by roughly 12,000 votes. There was a little variation in the counts and recounts, but pretty consistent overall that it was about a 12,000 vote victory. And there's no indication of widespread fraud. And then on the Democrat side, we have a new candidate who got in the race just recently, State Representative B. Wynn, who represents the district that was former Stacey, former Representative Stacey Abrams' district. And she has become a voice in favor of voting rights in the legislature. Um, there was a famous interaction between mm -hmm. her and the Republican consultant who claimed that they were out-of-state voters or illegal voters. And she talked about how she went to a local apartment complex and showed that all those people lived there. Um, but first and foremost, the Republican side will be fascinating. And I don't know how where that leaves Secretary of State Raffensperger, because it isn't just Jody Heiss. There's also David Bell Isle, who also ran for Secretary of State in the 2018 race, also on the Republican side, also criticizing Raffensperger. Mm -hmm. So he's facing a lot of pressure from his own party. And that's going to be hard to deal with. How do you convince Republicans to vote for you when you're not their preferred um, person as yeah. you used to be. I, I don't know. I don't know if I were Secretary of State Raffensperger. I don't know how I would handle that. Yeah, for him, I guess he has a year and a half to make up that lost ground. But um, the conventional wisdom makes him the underdog right now in his own party primary because Jody Heiss has has former President Trump's endorsement. Uh, Jody Heiss announced, and within minutes, Trump sent out a statement endorsing um, the congressman. So, and in a Republican primary right now, at least. Uh, in Georgia, uh, Trump's voice uh, overrules a lot, you know, can, can uh, reign supreme in a way. Um, let's get to some of your questions, too, because this, we got some good ones. Um, Michael S. in Loganville asked a question for Tia, and is, when do you think Stacey Abrams will run again for governor? And Tia, 
uh, we had a jolt recently where, where you wrote the headline, um, basically that Stacey Abrams is in the driver's seat. Yes, um, you know, similar to kind of what we're seeing in the Senate race with Stacey Abrams waiting in the wings, we, you know, aren't hearing that any prominent Democrats are willing to even float that they're interested in running for governor because she has the ability to clear the field. She has a massive national profile, much higher than when she ran in 2018, which seems like so long ago, you know? And um, we, you know, the, the race is not until 2022. Um, she would have a primary in the summer, but again, she can clear the field. She doesn't need a lot of time. So um, I think Greg, you, we were talking earlier and you think it'll be late summer? It could be, yeah. I mean, she could, if you compare it to 27, 2017, when she was running for governor, she filed paperwork in May and, and, and she got in the race in June. Um, so right around this time period. But back then, she was not the nationally known figure she is now. Um, she had a primary opponent in Stacey Evans who had already leaked word that she was getting in the race. This time around, she doesn't have to worry about that. And she's got, not only does she have party unity behind her and national, international name recognition at this point, but she also has a group called Fair Fight Action that is raised more than $100 million since she started it uh, right after her election defeat in 2018. Right. So, I mean, Stacey Abrams is going to be a formidable candidate. And um, and I think it's even going to affect which Republicans decide to challenge Governor Kemp, because by and large, you're looking at not just which Republicans can win a primary. And we know that primary is going to be very focused on who's most aligned with Trump. But that person is still going to have to come out of that primary and be up against, most likely, a very um, prominent um, Stacey Abrams who can really fire up Democrats, but who also has been working hard on a message that we've seen can appeal to those that are in the middle in Georgia. Mm -hmm. It's important to note that, that Stacey Abrams hasn't commented either way. She hasn't, she hasn't shot down the speculation, but she hasn't tried to stoke it either. Instead, she said she's focused on voting rights. The other day, she was even asked by a CBS anchor about her dating life, and she said, I'm focused on expanding democracy in, in Georgia and around the nation. I, I haven't been you know, thinking about my personal life lately. Um, so that just shows you where her mind is at. But I'll say behind the scenes, usually reporters like us, we start hearing buzz if someone's really not going to get in. Uh, we hear other, other potential candidates say, hey, you know, uh, keep me in, you know, mention me in this or that story because I'm thinking about running if Stacey doesn't. I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not hearing any of that. So that, that to me is another pretty stark indication that, uh, that, that, that everyone's clearing the field for Stacey Abrams. Um, let's get to the next question. Julie M. from Hey Hira asks Mark, um, what do you think of, will come of John Ossoff, Senator Ossoff's new bill to allow water to be handed out um, by outside groups at lines? Well, I voting he, lines, I should say. Yes. So part of new Georgia's new voting law does prohibit volunteers or organizations from handing out water, food or beverages to voters while they are waiting in line or within 25 feet of lines. However, poll workers can set up unattended water stations or, of course, people can bring their own food or snacks. And so Representative Ossoff and Senator 
I'm sorry, Senator Ossoff and Senator Warnock yesterday both introduced this bill that would allow nonpartisan people to hand out um, water to people waiting in line. What will come of it? I think it could be incorporated into the big voting rights bill that's currently in the Senate and that was um, being debated today about how to handle it. So it could well be incorporated into that larger bill, which is such a big, this is the big one. It, ha it covers campaign finance. It covers voting rights. It has a lot of ground and ultimately I think the Democrats in Congress, my impression, and this is better for Tia to answer, but will they have to really narrow it down and focus on one aspect of this bill, or are they going to try to go big and do all these things? You know, there's still the filibuster in the Senate that could stop it, so they're going to have to really, the Democrats, if they want to pass this, they're going to try to have to find enough votes somehow to push it forward, and I don't know how that's going to play out. Mark, I think Tia has a late-breaking update on this. Yes, I do. The um, Senate Rules Committee has been debating this bill called S-1, the For the People Act, since 10 a.m. this morning. I just pulled up the stream to make sure, yes, they are still meeting as we speak. And they're going through a bunch of amendments. Most of those amendments have failed on a tied vote. There are nine Republicans and nine Democrats on the committee. And so um, Ossoff did introduce his bill to ban state laws um, that prohibit giving people water in line. And uh, that amendment failed on a tied vote. So for right now, that change Ossoff and Warnock want to add to the For the People Act was not added. Um, but they can still try other ways. And as you mentioned, Mark, this is just, this is a committee stop and they're going to get the bill in posture to be debated on the floor where there could be more amendments. And of course, there's still the discussion about the filibuster because, um, you know, even if they bring the bill to the floor, which, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of freedom. Chuck Schumer has his majority leader on what bills he brings to the floor and, and how he, he can use Senate procedures to do that. But he doesn't have freedom to get around the filibuster. And unless there are 10 Republicans willing to, to let this legislation come up for a vote, it's dead in the water, whether it's the current expansive bill that it is right now or whether it's more narrowly tailored, um, which it is not right now. Again, all these amendments uh, that have come up today have mostly been shot down. So it's still a really expansive bill that has a lot in it that Republicans are critical of. Dead in the water could describe so many legislative debates that don't go through the budget reconciliation process in Congress right now. Um, and for our last question, this one I'll go to Mark, the baseball fanatic. This is from Krista B. from West Point. When will Atlanta get the chance to host the All-Star Game again? I don't know. I would love to go to an All-Star Game. Um, but, you know... Mark keeps, like, score. You keep, like, box. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I have baseball. these thick notebooks of scorecards. <laughs> Um, you know, I think it'll be a few years, though. Um, you know, Major League Baseball plans these things in advance. I'm not sure how many years they've already set the All-Star game, but it's not going to be 2022, 2023. Um, I don't know when the next opportunity will be, but um, certainly we've seen from 
and I don't have examples off the top of my head, but I believe we've seen sporting events that were pulled from other states return there later. And I am sure the Braves will be advocating for Major League Baseball to give us another shot. Well, that's our show. Thank you to Mark and, for, and to Tia for joining us for this conversation. Look, thank you for joining us. This is the type of conversation that you're helping to facilitate with your subscription, your, your readership, your devotion to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We could not do this without you. Uh, we're available by email, on social media, by phone, for your tips, for your feedback, for your questions, your concerns, always. Thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.